Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After a Patriots win. I'm not kidding. The Patriots won a football game. All right, so the first thing you'll hear on this pod is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. And we, of course, recorded with James as part of our FanDuel TV show as well. So you'll hear that coming up next. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. And joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, I cannot believe what I just witnessed. We've been watching this 1-5 Patriots team for the past couple of weeks, losing games badly to the Saints, to the Cowboys, an unfortunate loss to the Raiders last week, even with Jimmy Garoppolo going out of the game. And then the Buffalo Bills, the team that has owned this division for the past, basically since Tom left and went to Tampa, this team has owned the division. Josh Allen has owned the Bills. And Mac Jones leads a game-winning drive and outplays Josh Allen. I really cannot believe what we just witnessed. It's incredible. It was impressive. Like I said, uh, I was one of the few people who still see the light at the end of the tunnel. And there's still, still a little bit of light there. Those division games, like I said, two teams that know each other extremely well. Obviously, you know, Bill Belichick knows how to game plan against a guy like Josh Allen, which, I mean, hey, he, he missed some throws there, which could have created some big plays. But I think a lot of that was due to the pressure that they were getting on him. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge win. I'm, like, I'm happy for Mac you know, to go out there to only have five incompletions, 83% completion percentage to have a game-winning drive like that's gonna have so much confidence for him moving forward I think it was just a impressive win all around to go up 10 you know that fourth quarter those last like four minutes of the game the game starting to completely shift it looks like everything's gonna fall apart you know had a fumble I'm like oh man like here we go but to, to get the ball back you know, Andre has a big play walk the ball down the field go score I think that was huge for this football team that they just needed something like that. You just got to have the confidence and the belief that you can go out there and beat good football teams. They were in you know, a bunch of football games with some good football teams, just couldn't quite finish it out. But, yeah, if you go out there and do it once, you get a lot of confidence. Yeah, and 
You're excited watching the game as a fan, right? Because your team finally plays well. And then I take a step back and you look at the upcoming schedule and it's Miami. Okay, we know that's a really good football team. But after that, it's Washington, it's Indy, it's the Giants, the Chargers, who really can never put it all together, the Steelers, who have one of the worst offenses in the NFL. So that's the shame of how they started the season. Because if you had won just a couple of those games, right? If you came into this one with three wins, you had a real chance maybe to make a run down the stretch of the season. Now, the Patriots looked like the worst football team in the NFL for those weeks. It's great that they turned it around and got it together. So I'm not crazy. Like, I don't think this is the team they're going to be the remainder of the season where they were the far superior (laughs) team to the Bills. But I do think it's encouraging to see Mac Jones, what he did down the stretch of the game, going down the field. And the other thing I would say is we've been asking all year, when are you going to get an advantage from Bill O'Brien? And I felt like we saw that in this game. I thought the Jets sweep, that was a really smart idea where they get Douglas out on the perimeter. I thought that on the final series, the Touchdown drive started where they caught the Bills, right? They caught for they got Ramondre on a screen pass. Ramondre takes it 34 yards. That was a really smart play call. And the other thing, James, and we've been yeah. calling for this. They discovered this. Throw it to your best players. So Kendrick Bourne, and I know he had the fumble, <laughs> and I was losing my mind when he fumbled the ball. I thought they were going to lose after that, so it was nice to see them bounce back. But Kendrick Bourne, seven targets, six receptions, 63 yards, of course, the touchdown. Douglas, six targets, four receptions, 54 yards, and as I said, the jet sweep as well. It's this crazy concept that they finally decided, hey, Kendrick Bourne's our best receiver. Demario Douglas is our most explosive player. For this game, we're going to throw it to those guys and give it to those guys the most, and it worked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and we kind of talked about it last week too, you know, just rolling with three receivers, letting those guys be on the field. You know, as much as possible, that's kind of how you get the chemistry with all those guys. So Mac knows what he wants to see. He knows who's out there on the football field today. Most part, it was Jalen Rager, you know, Pop Douglas and and Kendrick Bourne, which was, a, you know, a surprising combination. To, you know, I, coming to the game, like I, I missed like the first few plays of the game. I was like, oh, it's Devontae Hurt. But I guess that's who they wanted to roll with. That's who they felt, you know, created the mismatches against the Buffalo Bills. And it worked. Like I said, just get the ball in those guys' hands. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You know, 60-yard bomb to create an explosive play. You have guys that are good right after the catch guys. Yeah, maybe Ramondre, you know, couldn't break off a, a long run in the running game. Get him a swing screen. Get him in space. Like, obviously, he's a guy who could break a lot of tackles. Like, he hasn't done it so much this year. But get the ball to him as much as possible. Zeke was – I said the, the yards didn't necessarily look the greatest, but they're running hard. They're making those four- or five-yard runs, and, and that helps. And I think a big part of it, too, is having – you know, those key pieces on your offensive line back, too. You get Cole Strange back. You have Mike Umwainu, you know, playing right tackle to kind of sure up that side. So I think that was a big, big part of this football game, too. Mac wasn't under duress the entire game. And when he was, you know, for the most part, he he made smart decisions. He just tucked it and ran. I mean, he had a couple where, you know, he was kind of trying to make something happen. And he fumbled yeah. one time. So if he could just eliminate, like, that type of decision-making, just, just eat the ball, throw it away, or try and scramble, get one or two yards, or get back to the line of scrimmage. I said, that's kind of what I've been saying. Just There's nothing there. You don't have to try and be like, you know, whatever, the 80% of the quarterbacks in this league who, who are mobile, who are a little bit different than him, try and create, 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 and force a play. You don't you don't have to do that. Just live the fight another play. You got a good defense. We can make some stops. And that's okay. Like, that, that thing, that irks me so much. I, I hate seeing every play being extended to the max. It's like, I understand these guys are, <laughs> are special athletes, but 
every play doesn't have the last 15 seconds. I mean, they're almost exhausting to me. I mean, the offensive line's getting tired. Receivers are getting tired. It's it's too much time. I understand on third down, but like on first and second down, to me, it's almost completely unnecessary. Yeah, I'm with you. And the other element is the Pharaoh Brown surprise continues to happen where this guy just has like every time Pharaoh uh, yeah, yeah. Brown has a big game, they win <laughs> the Jets game in this game today. But to your yeah. point about the running game, I completely agree because it wasn't like it was super efficient, but at least you could run the ball, right? Because you were in the game the entire yeah. time. And to the Patriots credit, they ran for 96 yards, which that's not like an unbelievable number, but they were averaging 83.7 on the season, which is 26 in the NFL. So at least you could have a little bit of a play action pass game. I thought they did a good job too actually using motion that's something that the Patriots really we haven't seen a ton of that and the other elements are just running the ball is if you look at the time of possession they were at 1606 in the first half so that's on pace for 32 12 on the season they're 27 18 bottom 10 of the NFL and if you think about that 32 12 that would be sixth and they kept up that pace in the second half so they finished the game 32 minutes and nine seconds where they had the football that would have ranked six in the NFL and on the season they haven't been able to do that and you look at some of the teams in the top five Philly Detroit's a great team although they looked bad today but you get the point is like Detroit's a good team San Francisco <laughs> Kansas City those are the teams that dominate time of possession so just keeping the game sort of close helped the Patriots be a little bit more diverse with their playbook rather than hey we're down three touchdowns let's start throwing the ball and the other thing is yeah. I don't think that, I don't want this to sound like a shot at Mac Jones, but he was, the numbers are through the roof, right? You mentioned it, 83%, 25 of 30. The passer rating was 126.7 when he's at 74.4 in the season, which is 32nd. But to his credit, Bill O'Brien's credit, obviously the Hunter Henry throw that he made on one of the last drives of the game, I thought that was a great throw. Yeah. But it wasn't like these numbers, James, that he got to. It wasn't like you were watching the game and say, oh, Mac made this unbelievable throw, that unbelievable throw. He just made the right plays, and they did a great job scheming the game up for him. And I think that's a compliment to both Mac, but also Bill O'Brien, that your quarterback can have this unbelievable game statistically, and you you can look at it and say, yeah, because it wasn't that difficult, right? Like, they did a really good job getting receivers open, throwing it to the right guys, and to Mac's credit, he executed. Yeah, they drew up a great game plan. They spread the ball around. Like I said, it wasn't a bunch of deep shots or anything like that. But when he did throw the ball 15, 20 yards down the field, it's extremely accurate to Hunter Henry to Pop Douglas across the middle, you know, in the red zone. He the, the pass to Farrell Brown, receive uh defenders right there on him. He drops it in the bucket. So it wasn't, you know, all, you know, perfect routes against, you know, the right look. He had to throw against some contested catches, throw it in the right window. And that I think that's one of the best parts of his game. He's not like the strongest, he doesn't have the strongest arm, but the decision making and the accuracy, I think that's what makes him a good football player. And they really use that today. And I talked about it, you know, kind of the previous weeks too. If they could just play from ahead or at least, you know, go up 7 0, keep the game close, then it allows for, you know, Bill O'Brien to stay in his wheelhouse. It makes it a lot easier as a play caller when you're up 7 0 or whatever, it's 10 3, 10 7, somebody at 14 10, rather than it being 14 0, 17 0, 17 3, then it's kind of hard to to throw your game plan together from that because it's, it's all completely shifted. You're just kind of trying to find things that have worked early in the game or just kind of find a splash play so it's a little bit different. So I feel like he was really able to showcase the game plan today because they were in the football game the entire time. They were playing from ahead. And I think that helps tremendously, and that was a big reason why they were still able to run the football. They're still able to throw the swing screens to Ramondre, that type of thing. I think it's a, a huge 
huge thing. I, and I, that last touchdown, I thought that was great. Use the use the size, you know, for Gasecki against a small defender. Like he obviously he didn't have like a crazy game or anything, but when you get in those situations, you have you know three big targets: Devontae Parker, uh, Hunter Henry, and Gasecki. Those guys should probably you know be in there in the red zone because you know a lot of DBs can't match up against that. They may not you know create a ton of separation, but Nothing Taron Johnson could do in that situation. Just throw it up high. You know, he almost has a whole foot on him. That's how tall Kaseki is. So, yeah, I thought they did a heck of a job today. Got to give credit to Bill O'Brien. Give credit to Mac. Like I said, with all the noise going on, nobody really giving you a chance. You know, this week, next week, probably the rest of the season. Fire Bill Belichick. Get a new quarterback. All that stuff is for them to go out and beat a Buffalo team, which Buffalo has a lot of injuries, whatever, whatever. The Patriots do have injuries as well. But I, I thought it was you know, a great day for yeah, and to your point about Kaseki, it's interesting because the past, not last year, but the two prior years, he was number two in the NFL in contested catches for tight ends. Like, that's why he's here, right? He's six foot six. He's a mismatch. He's We know he's not a blocking tight end. You have him here to catch the ball. So when you're yeah, in the red I zone bet. like that, <laughs> take advantage of him. And the Patriots did a good job of that today. And I also look at, just from a confidence standpoint, the team has to feel good about Mac Jones doing this, right? Because... You have a huge mistake, as we talked about with Kendrick Bourne, and it felt like, James, it felt like, okay, we know how this is going to end now. Josh Allen goes down, they score a touchdown, the Bills are going to win the game, but no, this time it was different. And Mac led his team down the field, won the game, and Mac, sort of in a weird way here, has control of his future with the organization, right? Because if you had continued to lose the way you were losing, and you were in sort of the sweepstakes for Caleb Williams or Drake May, I know those guys both lost over the weekend, but... Those guys have sort of separated themselves. Caleb Williams, like for the past year, everybody knew he was going to be the number one pick. But if you were in that territory where you had a top three pick or a top five pick, you really have to consider pulling the trigger on one of those guys, considering how talented they are. If Mac Jones can, in this stretch that I just mentioned, where they have some not so great teams, the Washington, the Giants of the world, if they start winning some games, Mac can have them in a draft position where it doesn't make sense to draft a quarterback anymore. So I do think that Mac in a weird way, I know it sounds crazy. Like obviously yeah. Mac's not thinking about this. Yeah, hey, I got to win this game. So we don't drop yeah. into the top five and draft a quarterback, but really that's the reality, right? Like if you, if you're one of the worst teams in the NFL, you're probably going to look at everybody, but you're definitely going to look at the quarterback who's entering his fourth year next year. And you'd have to decide on whether or not to pick up his fifth year option and all that different type of stuff. And he play, if he plays like he had been previously, then you're definitely moving on from him. So I think Mac, it's a major win for Mac today too because he kind of avoids some of that talk for a week. 100%. You go out there, beat a division foe who's been at the top of the division the last several years. I say everybody's questioning your ability, questioning whether you should be a franchise quarterback. You go out and perform like that. Obviously, that, that works in his favor a whole lot. Obviously, the conversation is definitely not completely over. You still have to be consistent you know, going forward. but. At the same time, I, it may not be a first-round pick where they draft a quarterback, but it's still going to be a potential of them, which I, I definitely see them drafting a quarterback at some point you know, next year. It could be second, third, fourth round. That, that quarterback draft class this upcoming season is going to be pretty deep. You can find a, you know, a decent quarterback later on the you know, in the draft, like a guy like Michael Penix from Washington, a guy like that. He probably won't go first round, but he can go second, third round. They're going to have somebody to probably compete with him. Either way, either – whether he performs extremely well for the rest of the year or if he just stinks it up the rest of the year, which I think he he will continue to get better throughout this season. But I could definitely see them, you know, trying to find another quarterback because it doesn't seem like they're as happy, you know, with Bailey Zappi. So you always want to have 
you know, another guy on your roster that can help you or you feel confident in winning football games. I I definitely see them still drafting a quarterback, yeah. whether Max a guy or not. <laughs> yeah, well, they definitely need to address the backup situation at the very least. Like, we'll see what Mac does the remainder of the season. I've been on record where I think that if Drake May is around there, I would take Drake May or Caleb Williams if I had that opportunity. But in terms of the backup thing, you nailed it. Think about it. Bailey Zappi had this awful training camp and he had a bad preseason as well. And you think about it, really, as poorly as Mac played, if Zappi was the same guy from last year, he would have already had the job this year because of how poorly Mac played. But they obviously have no confidence in Zappi whatsoever. To two weeks ago, Zappi's not even dressed for the game, right? He's like the emergency quarterback. Malik Cunningham is the backup. So it's going to be interesting to monitor this going forward. I do feel, just from a personal standpoint, I do feel good for Mac because it's going to stink every week dealing with this stuff and the offense can't get going. So I thought that was major. You could tell, like, he was super pumped up trying to do Gusecki's dance with him after. So that was cool. But the other thing that deserves credit here is the defense, because that's obviously one of the best offenses in the NFL. Right away, you have to take, if Josh Allen's going to throw you the ball, because we know he has a propensity to do that as great as he is, you got to take advantage. Third and seven, Jabril Peppers, interception. Not the most difficult one, but he made the play. You need that. Third and seven, when the Bills are backed up, it's a 10-3 game. Barmore, pressure. I thought Barmore was awesome. On that second and nine. He had a hell of a game. He gets through there. Forces a field goal instead of them extending that drive, maybe picking up a touchdown in the wind. Ironically, against the Bills, we had a win factor again in this game. They missed that field goal. <laughs> and Barmore's a guy, James, that I thought this could be the breakout season for him. I thought it was going to be last year he dealt with injuries. And this year he really hasn't flashed as much. But you go back to his rookie season, 15.4% win rate via pro football focus. One spot behind Chris Jones. He was in front of guys like DeForest Buckner and Fletcher Cox. It looked promising, and oh, yeah. this is the talent he has. Like he just like threw. Who was it? Mitch Morse to get to Josh Allen. I thought he, he was, was like the star of the game defensively, from my perspective. He was, he was wrecking shot. That that's my guy right there. That's 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 my little brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, when I was there during um during mini camp, I was getting after him. I was like, "How many sacks you gonna have this year?" I mean, he didn't tell me the number. He's like, "You'll get quite a few," but he's a. He's a spark player for that defense. I know he's been banged up like the last couple of years, but yeah, he can he can win in pass rush situations. He plays well against the run. He has a lot of quick twitch for a guy who's that big. And he was he was all over the field today, creating pressure. Obviously, he had the one you know roughing the passer and all that. I'm sure he was he was feeling himself a little bit out there, creating <laughs> creating all that pressure. But if he can continue to play like that with a guy like Judon being out, I think this was the the most creation the most pressure they created with Judon being out, Uche being out too. So, you know, Anthony Jennings has some pressure. Gotcha was getting in there. So if they can create that pressure and you know, take some of the pressure off of their secondary, which I thought, you know, Steve Belichick, Mayo, Bill, I, did, I thought they drew up a great game plan you know, quite a few times, sitting you know, quarter pressure or slot pressure where they, they couldn't get Josh out on the ground. But, like, if they make those tackles, then we can definitely be talking about a bigger win, you know, for this football team because they, they dialed the blitz at the perfect time. Gotcha quite – couldn't quite bring him down, which obviously a lot of guys struggle to bring Josh Allen down. That's what makes him extremely special. You send pressure at him. He breaks the tackle of two guys and it's a 60-yard bomb. So, yeah, I thought the, the pressure was great. Jabril, he's been balling out yeah. for this team all year long, whether it's hitting guys, getting interceptions. He's he's really improved as a football player. You know, I thought uh, Jalen Mills did a decent job today. The whole secondary played well. I mean – Stephon Diggs, he had like 12 targets, only six receptions. If you 
if you can limit that guy under 100 yards, that's definitely a win for your football team. He, he very easily could have had 100 yards. They had that whatever, like 70-yard yeah. bomb where, you know, Josh Allen overthrew him and a couple other opportunities for him. But, hey, I said you make it – you make Josh Allen feel the pressure a little bit, that's what makes, you know, those throws be a little bit more errant. So you got to give credit to the defensive front. And also Bentley, too, that play, that breakup he had on fourth down, that was, that was huge. Oh, yeah. Defense came up with a lot of – was a lot of timely stops for sure. Yeah, you're right. That was a huge play by Bentley in the game. And the J.C. Jackson play in the end zone on Diggs. He had he did a nice job blocking the ball yeah, away from yeah. him. Glad they let him play. By the way, to your point on the Barmore thing, I don't know. And I know this has been a discussion for a couple of years now. What is a defensive player supposed to do there? He's So he's tackling Josh Allen <laughs> and he has to swing his own body around so he doesn't land on the quarterback. Like, I understand... The quarterbacks, they make a lot of money in this league, and a lot of people are tuning in to watch the Josh Allens of the world, right? The Pat Mahomes of the world, those guys. But what are you supposed to do as a defensive? Like, when you guys were at practice, would you see, like, the defensive players, like, working on this technique? You, you can't work on it. It's hard being a defender. I don't know how they do it, especially, you know, guys of that size. Like, for them to have yeah. to, you know, wrap a guy up, try to turn all that. But, hey, that's just – that's just the rules of the game. You got to do the as best as you can. Me try and wrap the guy up, try and turn to your side. I I don't know, but yeah, it's just it's just what it looks like. Even the Jack Jones one, that was that was a BS call. Oh, yeah. Josh Allen, you know, flopped a little bit on that. It's like you're like a hundred hundred more pounds than him. He's not he's not knocking your helmet back on that situation. He he definitely flopped. Yeah, well, and Cleet Blakeman called it, and he couldn't even see it. He was on the other side, so there's no <laughs> way he could see Jack Jones making the hit. Like it was clear that it was not yeah. in the helmet head area, if you will. And I don't know how Cleet Blakeman's trying to make that call. I don't know what he's doing. It's like you literally can't see that, so just don't throw the flag. You're almost like assuming it's like an NBA ref that like assumes there was a foul. That's sort of like what they did. There, or like yeah, you, see, you see the qu- when a. Uh, See the quarterback yeah. on the ground, and- or like when an official will blow, uh, blow a play dead, and it's like, no, actually, you don't, you, you shouldn't be blowing this dead, and it's, it, should, it should be a touchdown for the defense or something like that. But yeah, all in all, I thought they did a really good job on Allen. Obviously, like to your point, he made his place, and that he is a freak. I don't know how he he gets away from the pass rush, and he's rolling out to his right, and he can just like flick the ball, but he's throwing it like with with crazy velocity. I mean. He's exceptionally talented. But, yeah, the other thing is, so you, 300 pounds, just, hey, make sure when you're going down, you're taking down another guy that's, like, 230 pounds. Make sure you <laughs> lean a little bit to your left or lean a little bit to your right. Okay, yeah, I got it. Like In the game action, it's ridiculous to me. But, Alan, in this game, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, James, I think what the strategy was was, hey, make him beat us, death by a million paper cuts, Eventually, he'll throw us one or two, and he did. He almost threw two, and he easily could have had two interceptions. He, of course, had the one because he had been really efficient this season. You look at him in this game, 300, what, what if you look at the numbers, he was his passer rating was at 120.8 entering today. He was down by, what, 12.8 points at 90. That'd be around 17th in the NFL. That's like Sam Howell level, 7.7 yards per attempt on the season. Fifth today, 6.5. That's Kenny Pickett range. So they made Josh Allen, even though he had some outstanding plays, he didn't dominate the game. And that's where I feel like this rivalry in recent history has completely changed to where the Bills have been the dominant team over the past two, three years or so. It's because they have Josh Allen and Josh Allen has been dominating this matchup against the Patriots defense. And today, first of all, Mac Jones was the better quarterback, which I cannot believe I'm saying that in a game against Josh Allen. But secondarily, they did a really good job 
defensively slowing that offense down. I think that all was a result of pressure. I think the last probably six, seven, eight times we played Buffalo, we weren't really getting too much pressure on them. If you don't get pressure on a guy like that, of course, he's going to he's gonna pick you apart. He's going to extend plays. He's going to run for first down. So if you can create pressure on him, you know, speed up his time clock. If you can get pressure on Josh Allen, he's always susceptible of a fumble or interception. If you can do that, not your secondary, not let the, the, the receivers get behind, you know, 40, 50 yards down the field, give yourself a great opportunity because their team, they're, they're looking for that big play as much as possible. Josh Allen's looking for that big play. He's trying to, I'm not saying he's like trying to show off his arm, but like he's, he's trying to you know, make that back breaking play against your defense. You're like, oh man, like here we go again. If you can make them try and drive the ball seven, eight, you know, 10 plays, you know, to score a touchdown, that's the, that's in your wheelhouse. I mean, they can do it. They're very capable of doing it. They've gotten, you know, a run game this year. They're using their backs extremely well. James Cook, he had a, a pretty good day. I don't know why they stopped using him kind of yeah. in the second half. He was he was killing us that first half. He's he's a dynamic back. So yeah, if you could just limit their big plays, that was the game plan. It's it's kind of like how you play the Chiefs, how you play the Dolphins. Can't give up the big play, try and make them, you know, force the ball, work the ball down the field, try and force them to make a mistake and when they're looking for that big play. So I think I think that's always going to be the game plan. Try eliminate guys like Stephon Diggs, eliminate a guy like Travis Kelsey, eliminate a guy like Tyreek Hill, and try and see if they can string together eight play drives every single time. I think that's Bill Belichick's mind. Yeah, and to your point about bringing the blitz, it's interesting because Josh Allen this season has been one of the best quarterbacks against the blitz. He was completing like 71% of his passes. That was third in the NFL. He had been really efficient against the blitz. And the Patriots did a really good job timing that, right? Because history would tell you of Josh Allen's season, you don't want to be blitzing him because he can tear you apart. But the Patriots did a good job disguising those. You mentioned the Jack Jones blitz where he came off the corner and Josh Allen never saw him. So they did a really good job sort of designing the blitzes to get after Josh Allen. I think about this too, just from the division going forward is this is what is so impressive about the run that you guys had, where this Bills team has won the division three consecutive years. They haven't won a Super Bowl. They played in the conference uh, championship one year. Now Miami, and look, I know they beat Miami, but Miami's in prime position to win this division. And you look at this Bills team, it's three years, and it looks like it's getting worse than it was back in 2020 when they made that run. You guys were able to sustain it. I mean, the first group for a decade, then you guys for basically 13 years or so, too. I mean, basically since 01 to 2023, the only year you don't win the division during that stretch is, or I should say till 2019 when Tom left, the only year is you don't win the division is 08 when Tom got hurt in 2002, Tom's first full year as a starter. And this team in four years looks like it's going in the opposite direction where I always thought that Leslie Frazier thing was weird that he just decided to leave for a year because he's really good at his job. And you just think about it. I mean, the Bills, this is a really bad loss for them. We talk about it from a Patriots angle. That's a bad loss for Buffalo. Definitely Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, they definitely have a difference in opinion on the way they want to call defense. That's that's probably like the only thing I can see. Maybe Sean McDermott seems to be a little bit more aggressive than what Leslie Frazier is. They typically didn't pressure as much when he was there. But I said it kind of before the season that, you know, Buffalo Bills, their window for their Super Bowl, I thought it was kind of closed in my opinion. I thought these last three years was their best opportunity to go and win a Super Bowl. Obviously, they had to go through teams like Kansas City and the Bengals, who have had their number the last three years. Yeah, the teams in the division have gotten better. 
almost every team in the AFC, they've you know tried to acquire talent, quarterbacks, and all that stuff, and all that stuff to make themselves better. I just feel like a lot more parity in the league now. They're not just you know over empowering guys and making it to the AFC championship to see the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, every single season they got to go through their own division. Miami, obviously, the Patriots still trying to figure it out, but Jets, you know, they would have been probably a lot better situation if Aaron Rodgers hadn't got hurt. Yeah, it's it's tougher. Not saying that they're gonna be you know, a trash football team. I just think the AFC has just has gotten so much better, and they're not just overpowering everybody else. And they just some of their key players just Matt Milano's hurt. You let Tremaine Edmonds go to the Bears. Tre'Davious White is hurt. You know, the, their safeties get are in and out of the line of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. So missing your key guys, you know, defensively, which has been a strong suit for them. Since McDermott has been there, that's it's hard to sustain success. I mean, you still got Josh Allen, you still got Stephon Diggs, but you're missing some important pieces. And I think another thing too, like moving off the Bills for a second here, is just I'm thinking about it now from a decision standpoint that the Patriots are going to have to make because they are still what two and five on the season. They don't look like they're a playoff team. Obviously, it was great having a game that was thoroughly entertaining from start to finish. The Patriots played well. I love this. I hope they yeah. can play this style of football because it's entertaining rather than what we've been dealing with for the past, what, five weeks or so. Really, since, I would say, since like the second half of the Miami game or the Jets game, and they won the Jets game. But since the Jets game, right, it, it had been bad. It had at times been an unwatchable product. But I think you have to make a decision on one player in particular, and that's Kendrick Bourne, because the trading deadline is coming up. So I think you have one or two options here because... There are going to be teams, and there already are, probably calling about Kendrick Bourne. He's a really good receiver. I think that he's underutilized. until, And I hope, like, if he is here, this is what we see going forward. It's Bourne and it's Douglas, and those are your two pl- main playmakers. By the way, James, I'm distracted right now because um, I got the post-game stuff on, and you're on the, com- you're on the commercial right now as we're recording. <laughs> I'm like, all right, James uh, must, is right must here. Be Andy's right commercial. Here. <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. That is kind of fun. <laughs> Double take. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. That, that just it caught me off guard. But anyway, so the other c- component to that is Bourne's a free agent after the season. So I think Kendrick Bourne is an outstanding player. So you got to decide: Am I getting value for him at the trading deadline? Like I know the Chiefs just made a move to. Bring back McCall Hardman. I don't think he solves their problems. I think the Chiefs could really use Kendrick Bourne. They don't have a lot of good receivers. Other teams could use him too. But if you're not going to trade him, you can't just like bring him back. I don't want to repeat. I know it's a different situation. Remember when the Patriots and you were on the team, they franchised Joe Tooney. And then Joe Tooney played that year and then he just left, right? So it's like, and you guys didn't make the playoffs that year. It's 2020. It like wasn't worth it. So either you extend Joe Tooney, keep him within the program, or you decide to move on from him and trade him and get some value back for Joe Tooney. And I do think the Patriots are now in this position in particular with Kendrick Bourne. And the problem, too, is if you do trade Kendrick Bourne, then you just took away Max's best weapon. And we've been talking about all season long that the Patriots <laughs> don't have weapons. So I do. I wonder if they don't trade him, if they're going to talk extension, because I don't want to see him just walk away from as much as I like watching Kendrick Bourne play. If their plan in 2024 is to not bring him back, then I think it behooves them to trade him because you have to get some value back. Yeah, I don't see them trading KB. I think Bill will tell you all the time he's not too big into trading good football players. And obviously, KB is a good football player for this football team. He's him and Pop Douglas. they're, They're the spark plugs of this offense so far this year. 
obviously he's one of Max, he's probably Max's favorite target. So I don't see that being a smart move. Um, I could possibly see them, you know, giving him an extension, but I, I feel like they're gonna gonna wait till after the season, most likely, maybe before you know, he actually gets the free agency before the new league year starts to have the conversation at that point because obviously we don't know what the season's gonna end up like, you know, down the road. I mean, maybe if they find a way to make a somewhat of a playoff push, I don't know. They're gonna try and weigh the options on every single player on their roster. So they'll probably evaluate you know, probably some other guys, you know, on the team as far as trade prospects, in my opinion, rather than KB, just because I know he's, Bill's a big fan of him, Max a big fan of him, and I just don't see you. Right now, he's probably the best player on the offense this yep. year, so like, why would you try and trade that guy? He's a guy that you definitely want to keep around. I know the Crafts love him, too, so that's that's important, too. You have a good relationship, coach, quarterback, owner, yeah, there's a good chance you're not trading him, and I could definitely see him being a part of the franchise for the future. yeah and it probably too coming off a win as we approach the trading deadline it sends the wrong message to the team when you trade away your best offensive player yeah. right and especially like yeah you're trying to and look yeah. it's a long shot that you can make a run here but at the same time too you look at your quarterback he's trying to develop as a player bill o'brien like as a play call it's like hold wait whoa, whoa, whoa i had a lot of stuff planned from in the coming weeks <laughs> i just wish they had extended him and not Devonte parker with the season i i've always preferred kendrick Bourne's skill set to parker's i mean parker if you look at the numbers he has been last in the nfl the past three years in separation in terms of when he's targeted he's a contested catch guy i just think kendrick Bourne fits better with mac because of everything he can do after the catch and whatnot so i just wish they had already extended him but i do hope if they don't trade him which i'm with you i don't think they will now especially after they pick up a win today they got to figure out a way to keep him long term all right so the other thing i want to mention is this is now win number 300 in the regular season for Bill Belichick. So you were a part of a lot of those, James. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. I was trying to go through the game logs and calculate this. But do you have a favorite? <laughs> we know your favorite win is going to be the Atlanta Super Bowl, right? Where you could have been MVP. I still think you should have been MVP of that game. But nonetheless, they gave it to the Brady guy. I mean, he's he's got enough trophies. But anyway, my point <laughs> is, do you have a favorite regular season win or no? Favorite regular season win. Oh, that is tough. Um, hard to think of. Were you there for the crazy like game against the Broncos where Bill decided to kick off to Peyton Manning in overtime because he didn't think he could throw in the wind? I can't remember if that was 13 or 14 because you were drafted yeah, in 14, correct? Yeah I, think that, I think that might, yeah, I think that was 13. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good what about the one where Gronk said where uh, you guys beat Indy? What the one in Pittsburgh? The one, one, you know, one of Indy was fun where Gronk had that crazy run on the sideline yeah. where he you know, like broke like a hundred times. That, that was fun. I I was dressed for that game. That was my my rookie season. What's the game? Mm-hmm. Was, the one in Pittsburgh where Gronk had like that like the five catches in a row against Sean Davis, and then he caught it on him as like pointed at him and spiked the ball. That was, that was one of my. One of my favorite, my favorite him, games. Right? I had like a high angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had like a high angle sprain like the second quarter, but I just finished the game. I was basically just running around and doing nothing for the entire game. But that was that was just a great win. Every time we play at Pittsburgh, it's a, obviously a tough game. To get that ball like one of the final drives to see Gronk kind of do that. I don't know why Tomlin left Sean Davis on him one-on-one for five straight plays or four straight plays. That, that was a fun one. Pittsburgh's always a fun place to play. Yeah, you guys had that crazy game too against Pittsburgh. Was 
Who was the tight end? Remember they like changed uh, the rules? Jesse James. Jesse, yeah, Jesse, Jesse James, James or something like that. Yeah, Jesse James surviving the ground, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun yeah. one. Definitely a catch, <laughs> but by the rule, it wasn't. Thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, hey. We don't make the rules, right? Yeah, that would, you know, I always it always caught me off guard when teams would just put like a linebacker or something on Gronk. Like I remember even in the Super Bowl going back to the Seahawks Super Bowl, where it's like right before half, KJ and it's Wright. I believe it was KJ Wright, KJ Wright on, yeah, KJ Wright. Yeah, it's like why are you doing and you that? And you can see Tom just like kind of looked over to him, and he's like, "Okay, we're doing this," and Gronk goes down. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like they have similar body types, but that's unfair matchup for. Yeah, when you see like the one of the most unique players you've ever played with, because I mean, I just look at him. He catches the ball. He just like runs over people. But he has like the best hands. He he talks about the fact that he loves to block. Like, and we see the the current tight ends. Yeah, none of them really block, right? Even the bet like Travis Kelsey, not a great blocker. Kittle is a blocker, but yeah, Kittle's yeah, like the only you don't one. really have Kittle. Maybe maybe yeah. Mark Andrews. He's all, he's all right a blocker, but yeah, he's he's different. I think that's why he's the the best tight end in my opinion because he's a guy he can, you can leave a one-on-one with the team's best defensive end and he can he can win that matchup not every other tight end probably in history could do that and go out and be isolated against a corner or safety you know team's best corner or safety and win that matchup contested catch route him up run after catch he's a dynamic football player he's definitely one of the most fun people to be on your football team just because from the physicality from a guy who can you know win a one-on-one matchup to be blocking for you and like demolishing the guy like all the way to the sideline, like he did that Colts game that we were kind of talking about. Like I said it's just fun to watch. It. Obviously, he brings the energy too, which is always. What was he like in the weight room? Was he nuts? Like, is is he loud in there, or is he just <laughs> like moving around big weight? No, no, he, he's pretty chill in the weight room. Like Gronk, I mean, he's very chill. You know, ninety five percent of the time, if you catch him in that five percent where he's you know in that mood where he he wants to have a good time, it's. It's hilarious. He had the time of your life. He's he's very at least like from when I got there. So he was already probably like five, six years in. I'm sure if I'd have been there with Gronk his rookie, you know, second year, third year, I'm sure it's probably completely different. Yeah. Him and uh that man, I'm thinking back to those teams now. Like when you had yeah, yeah. the pass catching options yeah, of you yeah. out of the backfield, you had Gronk <laughs> playing tight end, you had Edelman, who was one of the greatest slot receivers of all time. And it always felt like you guys mixed in like the right one other guy, right? Like for Brandon LaFell was good for 14. Brandon yeah, LaFell yeah, had an outstanding yeah. season. Yeah. 16, Malcolm Mitchell had a good close to the season where he he came on strong at the end of the season. He played pretty well in the Super Bowl. Had a couple of catches in that game. And then I think to 17 oh, when dude. they br- brought in Brandon Cooks. I remember we were talking in 17 yeah. about could this team go undefeated? Because you guys have won in 16 and you brought in <laughs> Stefan Gilmore too. It's like, whoa, this is this is yeah. a super team, right? And you made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Brady throws we for thought. 500 yards and all that. But I thought I, I would have loved Cooks to stick around a little longer. I mean, he's still doing it, not at the same level, but he was like that. The first real like deep threat that Tom had since Randy Moss. That was one of my, the 17 team I thought was awesome. It may have been yes. better than the 16 team, honestly. Yeah, talent wise, we probably we probably were. I mean, like Cooks was a special football player. I thought he would have, you know, stuck around for a while longer too. Him and Tom had a good connection. Obviously, he brought the speed element to our offense. We had a lot of different weapons, you know. Him, Dorsett, Jules there. Pretty sure Dola was still there on that Oh yeah, how did I forget him? Yeah. Amendola was awesome. And, 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 and Hogan yeah. was there too. So we had we had a lot of a lot of weapons. We had a bunch of good backs. Gronk was there. Yeah, we had some guys. Yeah, and I remember that the 17 playoff game when Gronk went out with a concussion 
Edelman was already done for the season. And Tom was just throwing it to Amendola like crazy. He always had playoff <laughs> Amendola. Like, he had huge playoff games. He always had. And the other guy I forgot about was Lutch. Martellus Bennett. Martellus Bennett was great for a couple of years. Yeah, he was filled in for Gronk the year that Gronk was dealing with the injury. Or one of the years, I should say, that Gronk. But the 16 team that didn't have Gronk. Of course, you guys didn't have Gronk that year. That's definitely what makes the 17 team more talented. But Martellus Bennett was really good. Like, nobody can be Gronk, but he was really solid. Marty Biza, he's probably one of the most underrated tight ends in NFL history. He, he can block, too. He's physical at the point of attack, big guy. He played basketball, go up, high point the ball. He's he, he's a fun guy to be around. Now, that guy right there, that, that's one of my favorite teammates. He, from meeting rooms to practice and everything, he's, he's hilarious. Very very smart, very intellectual, knows how to, ha- knows how to, how to have a good time, too. That Marty Biza. Wasn't he into, like, animation or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's. I'm pretty sure he's still doing that. He had like a thing called the Imagination Agency, like with robot, like kids books and stuff. Yeah, he's a very intellectual guy. All right, James. Before I let you go, because I know you're covering college football, of course, too, for the Big Ten Network, and you do your Wisconsin podcast as well. So, I I don't think I've ever been this confused about like the top of the sport because I remember back to '07, the year that LSU won. They were a two-loss national championship team. But like nobody could stay in the number two spot. I remember UCF was really good that year. BC was good, and then they lost on a Thursday night game with Matty Ice. But since then, there's always been like a dominant team or two at the top. And Georgia, I mean, I know they're loaded. <laughs> Not the same as last year, though, from an offensive perspective and from a quarterback perspective with all the experience they had. And then I watched that Ohio State-Penn State game. Marvin Harrison Jr. is just unbelievable. I mean, you could argue he's the best player in college football, but at the same time, it's like you don't trust their quarterback. They don't even trust their quarterback, right? Penn State, obviously, (laughs) they had their issues offensively in that game, and I know both defenses are really good, but this isn't a vintage Ohio State team. Like, if C.J. Stroud was still in Ohio State, you'd say, okay, that's the best team in college football. Yeah, beyond. I don't know. For me, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe it's Michigan. I know Michigan hasn't really played anybody. They got this whole scandal going on, too, about stealing signs. So we'll <laughs> see about that. But who do you think right now is the best team? I mean, I'm trying to think if I forgot anybody. Oklahoma was not impressive. Yes, I know they beat Texas. Oh, they were not impressive yeah. yesterday against, um, who was it, UCF. And I think Texas yeah, would beat them if they play against yeah. Washington almost yeah, lost. Yeah, Washington, that's a good if one. If I had to pick one, I, yeah, yeah. But they, they almost lost, too, against, I forgot who they played, Arizona State, and Arizona State's pretty terrible. So, yeah, if I had to pick one, I mean, I have to go with Ohio State. They beat Notre Dame, you know, who was top 10 at the time. Then they beat you know, Penn State, a top 10 team. They're the, probably the only team so far who's beaten, like, two top 10 teams. So, based off their resume, I know, you know the quarterback has been perfect, and they don't have complete confidence in him just yet, but they're – their defense is much improved you know, from last season. They're they're playing a little less aggressive. They feel like they were running a lot of cover zero last year and getting a lot of big plays. But this year they've been much improved. If the quarterback can keep, continue to get better, they get their other receiver back, Buka back. He's a, another probably first-round pick talent, which they always have at the receiver position. Yeah, I think they're a very dangerous football team. I have to give it to them right now. But Michigan, obviously they're, they're loaded too. I just haven't – we haven't seen it against, you know, match competition, but they'll have to play Penn State, they'll have to play Ohio State, Maryland the last three weeks of the season. So that'll be when we really see what they're all about. Because their toughest weeks are going to be the last three weeks. Yeah, and another team I forgot is Florida State. Florida State looks good, too. They got, they, they got some – that team, they got some some big kids. I don't know what they feeding those kids over there or where they <laughs> found those. Like, they're like three, three, six, four receivers or something like a 
six four tight end. It's like two eighty. I'm like, but the quarterback's like five eleven. Like I don't. Know. <laughs> I mean, they got some talented guys over there. Yeah, I, I forgot about Florida State. They're they're dangerous too. And they beat Duke. Duke actually looks pretty good this year. So yeah, Florida State. They're they're right there in the yeah. Mix. I like I, as long as Clemson's not good. I can't stand Clemson. Dabo, that guy irritates me. Yeah. You know, he didn't get any transfers. <laughs> it's like. What is that out of principle? He has like he has like this yeah. thing. He has like this thing against the transfer portal. But I bet he I bet he goes to that transfer portal after this. Yeah. Year. You're and, not they're stinking it up. I mean, <laughs> all right. That is three time Super Bowl champ James White. James, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Jump into the NBA action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet five dollars and get two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers get three months of NBA League Pass courtesy of FanDuel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. That way, you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly. So I'm looking at a couple of Celtics futures this season. I like Jason Tatum for the MVP at plus 750. He's behind Jokic, Luka, and Giannis. I think you can eliminate Luka. That team is not going to be good. So I like that plus 750 for Tatum, especially if the Celtics finish with the best record in the NBA, Tatum's got a chance. Now you look at coach of the year, and I know this sounds crazy, but going to this whole theme of if the Celtics have the best record, Joe Mazzulla plus 1,200, those are pretty nice odds. I also like the Celtics at plus 380 to win the NBA Finals. So just some futures to look at as we're getting ready for the NBA season. It is finally here, baby. So don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. All, cust- all customer offer. $5 NBA wager required. Limit one pass per customer across both offers. Restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See full terms for both offers at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. NBA League Pass, local blackout restrictions apply. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from James White. Always like going down memory lane with James White. Gronk was a different kind of guy, man. Unbelievable. I just, he's one of the most fun players to watch. And I'm, I'm not like breaking news here. You guys all enjoyed it as well. But just seeing Gronk like run dudes over block guys off the field. He's just unbelievable to watch. What an unbelievable player. What an unbelievable competitor. And the guy played, like, he was always dealing with these huge injuries and the way that he just kept fighting back from them. I loved watching Gronk play. It was very, very entertaining for whatever it was, the eight years that you essentially had him. But the other interesting thing I found in this weekend for the Patriots before, well, there's a lot of them, but Bill's contract, I want to get to that in a second here. But the other thing, I just thought this is weird. Not that I was surprised by it, but it is kind of weird where Skarnakia goes into the Patriots Hall of Fame this weekend, as does Mike Vrabel. And Mike Vrabel's a coach for another NFL team, of course, the Tennessee Titans. It was just kind of weird that he's like, and I know he, he just got the red jacket and all that, but he's sitting in the box, the suite or whatever it is with Robert Kraft, and he's watching the game, and he's the head coach of a different team. I'm not saying that the Kraft should have not brought him in there. It's just weird. He coaches a different team and he's just chilling in the Kraft's box watching the game. I mean, not that he's like scouting or doing anything like that. It's just weird. It's a weird situation. But anyway, so Bill's contract, Ian Rappaport had the reporting today where he said, Bill agreed to a lucrative multi-year new contract with the Patriots this past offseason. 
His contract is one of the most closely held secrets in New England. That said, I think it's fair to say there were some at least uncertainty or intrigue surrounding him. Now, contractually, he's locked up long term. My understanding is he would not be inclined to make a move midseason. Okay, so after the game, Bill was asked about this report that he signed a contract extension with the Patriots in the offseason, and he said, thanks, though. He wasn't going to answer the question, and he said, I want a softball question now after he wouldn't answer that one. So, and another thing that Bill said after the game, he was asked, does this final drive make people have more confidence in Mac? He said, I don't know. And then he said, he was asked, does it give you more confidence in him? I have confidence in all our players. Thanks, Bill. But anyway, this kind of paints the picture. Mac had a really good game today. He's 25 of 30. Bill is not the biggest Mac fan. I think we've known that over the past couple years or so. And this gets into this whole idea of Bill's contract. So this does feel like it's going to get uncomfortable if they don't turn it around. Like if this is the start of something where maybe they win a couple of games here and the Patriots look like a more competent football team and all that, it's going to get ugly if they look like the team that they looked like the previous five games or so, right? Where they're making mistakes, they're turning the football over. I think this could get a little bit uncomfortable. And it's interesting to me where the first thing you have to ask yourself about this report getting out there that Bill agreed to a long-term extension with the Patriots in the offseason, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, hey, where is this coming from? Who's putting this out there? Who's leaking this to Ann Rappaport? Well, it's pretty clear, right? This is coming from the Belichick camp. I obviously cannot say that with 100% certainty, but if I was a betting man, as I am, always bet with our friends at FanDuel, by the way, they're the best. But anyway, this is fascinating to me that it comes out today that Bill puts, that Bill's camp leaks this to Ann Rappaport, which is my guess on all this. And I feel like I'm pretty spot on. Like it's, it's got to be coming from the Belichick camp for a couple of reasons. Because think about it from Kraft's perspective. Why would he want that out there? Kraft is contemplating how he's going to deal with Bill Belichick going forward, right? Where is he going to move on from Bill after the season? And remember what Kraft said at the owners meetings. And I continue to point to this quote. He said, quote, I'd like him to break Don Chula's record, but we're looking to win and win now. It's very important that we make the playoffs next season. Well, even despite the win today, they're two and five. <laughs> they're not in playoff contention, right? So what Bill was selling Robert Kraft after last season was the team was close, right? This team was going to be closer to the team that we saw in 2021. Bill believed that this team could be competitive, and so did Robert. And Bill appeased Robert by replacing Matt Patricia with Bill O'Brien. That was supposed to fix the offense and make it work again. And <laughs> finally, it looked good in this game today. It hasn't for most of the season, right? So remember, we had the rumor that the Patriots had sort of floated Mac on the trade market this offseason. Florio reported that. And then Robert Kraft had this to say about Mac. I'm a big fan of Mac. He came to us as a rookie. He quarterbacked us through a, his rookie season. He did a very fine job. I thought we made the playoffs. I think we experimented with some things last year. And frankly, it didn't work. When he came out, in my opinion, I think we made changes that I think put him in a good position. Okay, so essentially what he's saying is, hey, now that we have Bill O'Brien, I think the offense is going to be good again, or at least be pretty good again, not be one of the worst offenses in the NFL like it was in 2022 and like it's been for the majority of this season, quite frankly. But remember, all offseason, Bill was noncommittal about Mac Jones. He was asked directly if Mac was his starting quarterback at the beginning of the offseason. And he says, I think Mac has the ability to play quarterback in this league. Not, yeah, he's our starting quarterback. I think Mac can play quarterback in this league, right? He also said, 
everybody will get a chance to play and we'll play our best players. He couldn't say that Mac was the starting quarterback. So Bill, despite the win today, okay, this is one game out of a season so far that has not gone pretty for the Patriots. They sit here, what, at two and five. So I don't think Bill liked what Mac did last year, how he played. And if Zappi was actually good, I alluded to this with James, during training camp in the, in the preseason, or just didn't flat out suck, he would be the Patriots quarterback right now with the way Mac played against Dallas, with the way Mac played against New Orleans, right? I don't think that Mac would be the starting quarterback. But I think what happened in the offseason was twofold. Now, Robert, despite the Meek Mill comment, does he really like, I, I do believe that Robert, and we got into this a little bit, Robert really likes Mac. The Meek Mill comment, the Lamar comment, where he said Meek Mill told him Lamar wanted to be here. I think that was weird, like when he actually said that at the owner's meeting, that he wanted people to know that. I think basically what he was sort of pointing to there, Kraft was, is in a weird way, he's saying, hey, if you don't want Mac to be your quarterback, essentially to Bill, this is your option. Trade for a guy of Lamar's stature. And look, it's going to cost you a ton. And Robert probably knew that Lamar was never going to be moved anyway. But the point being is that was like, hey, Bill, if you don't want Mac to be your starting quarterback, you can trade for this guy. That's what I think that sort of was. But anyway, the more and more I think about this is, and by the way, now that I think about it, like they could have got, like could have at least put an offer to the Ravens for Lamar. I feel like nobody did. But anyway, Bill, I think, went into the offseason thinking Zappi could take over the job. And then he had that bad preseason, and that's why he was non-committal during the offseason, is he actually thought that there was a possibility that Zappi could be the starter. I truly believe that. I believe Bill wouldn't commit to Mac because he didn't want to just give him the job. He was really judging who he thought was the better player, right? So Bill, if you think about this offseason, he concedes to Kraft that he needs to replace Patricia and get a new play caller. So he gets Bill O'Brien, a guy that obviously Belichick likes, but also Kraft really likes. So Bill said, okay, Robert, we'll bring in a guy that you like in Bill O'Brien. And hey, let's see what happens with Mac Jones, right? So this problem was essentially what Robert is saying, in my opinion, this is how I read this whole situation. He was pointing to, and he said that Mac was in a bad situation last year. So Robert's pointing to, hey, the reason Mac wasn't good last season is because of Matt Patricia in the situation that you, the head coach, Bill Belichick, put the quarterback in, right? So essentially, if you think about it from that perspective, what he's doing is Bill saying, okay, well, if that's the case, if Mac's my guy going into next season, let me say this, give me a contract extension, right? Because I want to be secure, right? Because this is your idea. You think we can fix Mac if we bring in Bill O'Brien. And I'm sure Belichick knew that he had to replace Matt Patricia, but you get my point. It's like, okay, well, I want some long-term stability. I mean, he's already been the coach for two plus decades, but I want some long-term stability on my contract if Mac Jones is my quarterback, because if things want self, if things go south, I still want to be the coach of the team, right? So Bill's camp leaking this against, or this Bill leaking the story, Bill's camp leaking the story, which I believe is basically, he's pointing out by leaking this information that Robert believed in the team. Robert himself thought this was going to be a good team, right? It wasn't just Bill thought the team was going to be good. Robert obviously believed in the team as well because you wouldn't give Bill Belichick an extension if you felt like, hey, it could be similar to 2022. So Kraft really thought that, hey, we got Bill O'Brien here. We can sort of change this thing around with Mac Jones. We can turn this thing around and we can get back to playoff contention. That's why he gave him the extension because he believed in Mac. What I think it was a bet on Mac that Robert Kraft made where he's saying, yeah, We'll get this thing back on track now that Bill O'Brien's here. And I think also, because we do know 
that Robert does like to get credit, and he deserves a ton of credit. I mean, this organization has won six Super Bowls, right? I think Robert wanted some of the credit if Mac's season went like it did today for the entirety of the season, where Mac looked really good, that, hey, see what we did? We brought in Bill O'Brien. That was my idea, not Bill Belichick's idea. I think he wanted that, right? So putting this out there sort of highlights that Robert thought the team was good too. So I think this will become, as this goes on, and we'll see, maybe Mac, this is a step in the right direction for Mac. I mean, I'm not buying in on the quarterback. I still think, and I've said this multiple times, if you have a top five pick, I would be drafting a quarterback. If it's Caleb Williams, if it's Drake May, whatever it is, If you, and look, maybe the Patriots just, they win against the Giants and Washington and the Chargers, and they're out of contention for one of the elite quarterbacks in terms of the draft. But if this continues to get sort of, if it becomes uglier down the stretch of the season and the Patriots are getting blown out and they look like the team that we've seen most of the year, again, today notwithstanding, I do think this is going to get uglier. And I do think that if Robert eventually does move on from Mac, I think what is going to be cited in terms of the relationship fracturing I think it's going to be Mac. I think it's that Bill wanted the ability to move on from Mac and look at a different quarterback because if the Florio story is true and he was shopping him, it tells you what Bill thinks of Mac Jones. And the fact that he never would say in the offseason that Mac was definitively the quarterback tells you what he thinks about Mac, right? Like, we've been through it here. Mac, uh, Bill has messed up a ton of things here. We've gone through the roster construction, the drafts on multiple pods. But I think Bill will not admit that he was wrong with that, right? That it was not his roster mismanagement that made this team up until this week one of the worst teams in the NFL. He'll point to Mac Jones, that Robert Kraft wanted Mac to be the guy here, wanted Mac to work here. And Bill's argument, I think, would be, hey, the reason we're not good is Mac. Not my poor roster, not the fact that we didn't have a ton of weapons, that we didn't have a good offensive line, that our offensive line was a mess for most of the season. It was more, yeah, the quarterback's just not good. Remember, Bill was upset way back when, when Kraft forced him to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. So he traded Jimmy Garoppolo out of like basically protest to his friend's kid, right? He's buddies with Mike Shanahan because Mike Shanahan is one of the only people that stuck up for him during Spygate where Mike Shanahan literally said, I wish I had thought of that, right? So he sends him to to San Francisco, to Kyle Shanahan, Mike's son, for a second round draft pick. And remember, at the 2017 draft, Schefter reported that Garoppolo wasn't going anywhere. He tweeted, his name continues to surface in trade rumors and speculation. It's not happening. Okay, so who's telling Schefter that? Bill, it's not Robert Kraft, who at the time, of course, and still does, loves Tom Brady. Robert at that time doesn't want to move on from Tom ever. And at that time, Bill did. Bill wanted to keep Garoppolo around, and I'm sure part of that was to get out of, at that point, Tom Brady's shadow, where Brady was starting to get all the credit for the dynasty, right? So Bill was pissed about that, to the point that he actually hurt his own roster, and he actually hurt his own organization by getting less back for Jimmy Garoppolo. It was documented, Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer at the time, and I think she's still there, but she reported that the Browns were willing to trade a first-round pick for Jimmy. And that pick would have been the fourth overall pick in the draft. So that's something the Patriots could have had turned out to be the fourth pick, of course. And maybe it's different, like if whatever. But you get my point is a first round pick was on the table from the Browns and Bill decided, and I know this history there and all that, but Bill decided to trade Jimmy out of spite to his friend's kid and only get back a second round pick. And you could say, well, hey, that 
Jimmy shouldn't have been worth the second round pick. Yeah, but that wasn't the market. At the time, he could have gotten a first round pick for Jimmy. He didn't. So I think what's going on is this is the start of something. Bill's getting ahead of basically, hey, like eight months ago, like he's basically getting ahead of this thing where he hears all the smoke. He hears all the fire that, hey, would Robert really move on from Bill, blah, blah, blah. He's pointing out, well, eight months ago, Robert believed this, this was going to work out. That's why I got an extension. He thought we could make this thing work with Mac Jones as our quarterback. So if the Crafts do move on from Bill, I think it's going to get ugly for Mac. And I think we're going to hear stuff about what Belichick didn't like about Mac. Not directly from Bill, but similar to what we saw today with leaks, right? It's easier for Bill to tell himself, like, if this doesn't work out, if I just had a different quarterback, I would have been fine with this roster. I think that's sort of, if I'm predicting going forward what happens, if inevitable, or if the situation plays itself out, like Bill's gone after the season, I think this is going to be what we hear from the leaks in the Belichick camp, is that they're going to blame Mac for what happened with the team. And obviously, Mac deserves a lot of blame, but Bill deserves a ton of blame too for the roster, right? So I also think, with this lucrative contract, of course, that Bill has, he points, like, lucrative contract, right? That's what was in the leak. I think that they put that out there because Kraft, he wants Kraft to pay if he's moving on, right? So essentially, Bill's not gonna go down without a fight. Like, if Kraft's gonna move on from Bill, Bill's Bill's gonna say, hey, well, you can trade me, and if you trade me, they're gonna have to pay my contract that we agreed to, right? So if you trade the contract, you take on Bill Belichick and that contract if it's a different team. The only question I would have, are teams gonna be willing to trade for Bill Belichick as so far how it's gone this season, right? Now, maybe, like I said, maybe today's the start of something. I don't truly believe that. I think now what's gonna happen is there, like now like thinking about this win, maybe it's not a good result for the Patriots just because of the draft position that maybe you take yourself out of the Drake May sweepstakes right now. But so maybe long term in terms of the organization, it's not a good thing. So <laughs> that's just the sidebar on all this. But I really do think if Robert wants to move on from Bill, Bill is going to coach elsewhere. Now that I think about it, I just think if a team has a quarterback, Bill will go there and prove to Robert, hey, it was Mac, not me. Like if he leaves the Patriots behind and Mac's still here and Mac's not playing well, and Bill goes to a different team with a good quarterback, like we brought up the Chargers on multiple pods, I think Bill's going to point to, or he'll have an argument like, see, it wasn't me, it was Mac. What about a team like the Bears, right? Another team you could throw out there, where it's a historic franchise, they could have the top two picks in the draft, right? If Carolina keeps losing, and I guess it did, let me check, I think the Bears ended up winning that game today. But anyway, they have Carolina's pick, so they have a chance of getting the number one pick in the draft, and they'll have a pretty good pick. Yeah, they beat the Raiders 30 to 12, but the Patriots couldn't beat Hoyer, but uh, the Bears could. But you get my point is they could end up with two top 10 picks in the draft, including the number one pick overall. And if Caleb Williams and Drake May are sitting there, maybe Belichick, that job would actually be appealing because we've seen these quarterbacks in the NFL develop quickly, especially the elite guys, right? Like Joe Burrow went to a Super Bowl in his second year. Pat Mahomes, his first year as a starter, won the MVP, right? He started the final game of his rookie season. The next year, he wins MVP of the NFL. So if Bill gets that franchise-level quarterback with the Bears, I think that's another thing that would be interesting to him. I thought of Dallas, but it just wouldn't work because I thought just from like a spite standpoint, Bill could take that job and work for Jerry. And because, you know, those are like the biggest rivals in terms of the owners, Kraft and Jerry Jones, like two of the most powerful owners in the sport. But 
the problem is Jerry runs the roster, right? Like Jerry has final say in all that stuff. So I don't think that Bill would work for Jerry Jones, obviously. But I'm just getting this out there. I believe Bill will coach elsewhere if they decide to move on. And I think we're seeing start the start of Bill defending himself with this league. This was the first step. The next step is going to be, from my perspective, what I believe is going to happen next, if we get to the point where they actually do decide to move on from Bill after the season, I think it's going to start to be, well, hey, Bill, Mac was forced on me from Bill's perspective in this, that I had to deal with Mac, right? If you think about it too, if you go back to the draft, and I was just thinking about this the other day is, or I should say this morning when this news came out, remember Mac fell to 15. It wasn't like the Patriots moved up to take their quarterback. What we've seen in recent history is most teams move up to get their guy. And even if you disagree with who the guy is, like Carolina went up to number one to get Bryce Young. And I've said multiple occasions, I hate that pick. Josh Allen, the Bills traded up for. Pat Mahomes, the Chiefs traded up for. All these teams we've seen, Deshaun Watson back in the day with the Texans, they traded up for him. We've seen this a lot in the history of the sport, really. Washington traded up to get RG3, right? The Eagles traded up to get Carson Wentz. Even if some of these didn't work out, these teams clearly believed in their guy. So are we supposed to believe, and maybe this, maybe you believe this, that the Patriots played the board so well they knew Mac would fall to them? Because Mac just fell in their lap at 15. Because if they were in love with Mac, if it was me, right? And I was never in love with Mac as a quarterback, but if it was me and I was sitting there at 15, and I really loved one of the quarterbacks, right? And look, you weren't going to get to one Trevor Lawrence. But if you thought like, hey, he's fallen, we're at pick eight, and I got to make sure I get my guy, it would be tough for me to have the discipline not to make a trade to move up so I make sure that I get my quarterback, right? For example, the Steelers that year were at 24, Ben Roethlisberger's aging. He was not good the previous season. Washington was at 19. They had Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke. They didn't have a guy. Remember, the Bears went to 11 to get Justin Fields because, and look, they were further down, but they had to say, I got to go get Justin Fields. And that's where I think the Patriots, it's just like, oh, Mac's here. So I think what happened is Mac and Kraft, or excuse me, Bill and Kraft had an agreement where Bill said, I'm not moving up. I don't want to give up draft assets to move up to get the quarterback. But if he is, he's here at 15, I'll take him. Or it was like, hey, if Micah Parsons here, I'm taking Micah Parsons. But if Micah Parsons isn't here and... Mac Jones is sitting there at 15. You got to take the quarterback. I think that that was sort of an edict where Kraft did sort of get involved in the personnel stuff where he said, hey, we can't do this Cam Newton thing again. We can't go out there and try to get a veteran quarterback. You have to draft a quarterback at 15. If Mac Jones is there, go get Mac Jones. And I'm sure Bill got great reviews from his buddy Nick Saban on Mac Jones and all that. Obviously, he wouldn't have drafted him if he didn't think that. But that's where I'm kind of like, I don't know how much Bill ever really liked Mac Jones. Now, obviously, he liked him today. And even after the game today, as we started this whole thing, he still wouldn't say, answer questions about whether or not guys feel good about Mac Jones having a game-winning drive. Of course they do. Of course they have a little bit more confidence in the quarterback after what he did today. But Bill won't even say that. So to me, what I think is going on in this, because it's obviously coming from Bill's side, because oh, how does it help the Crafts, right? <laughs> Kraft... We've heard all this stuff. Could the Patriots actually move on from Bill Belichick after the season? Why would they want it out there that they just signed him to a contract extension? It makes no sense. They, why would the Crafts want that out there? They wouldn't, right? Like, it doesn't look good right now. Bill wants that out there to put the pressure on Kraft to say, well, this guy just gave me an extension. Why would he want me gone after the season? So I just think it was interesting how this thing played out. I think Bill is starting to build up his defense, if you will, if this goes poorly. And I do really, truly believe 
that the next step, unless something dramatically changes with Mac the rest of the season, and he's not going to look like the guy he did today for the rest of the season, but if he plays like above average quarterback for the rest of the season, unless that's the case, then obviously this doesn't matter. But if he plays poorly down the stretch of the season and for the remainder of the season, I should say, I think that's the next step. If they move on from Bill, I think we're going to start to hear stuff about what Bill didn't like about Mac some of the issues that Mac had in the build, like all that different type of stuff. I think that will be the next part of the process. But I do think this is Bill today starting his defense of why it's not his fault. I do think that that it was interesting that that leak came out because you never see stuff like this coming out. Okay. The other thing I wanted to mention briefly here is I just find this interesting. Maybe some of you don't, but if you gamble or you play fantasy football, I think it is really interesting because of course, Bijan... Robinson, the great running back, rookie running back for Atlanta, didn't play today. And or he did play briefly. He played like three or four snaps or so he didn't get a touch. So it's interesting to me because it wasn't reported. He wasn't on the injury report. So what happened is at halftime, the head coach Arthur Smith talked to Fox had the game and he talked, forget who the sideline reporter was at the time. I apologize for that. But nonetheless, my point being is he said he's not feeling well. Bijan Robinson's not feeling well. So that to me, if you have fantasy football, especially when you have gambling, right? If gambling is part of the process and the league advertises gambling all the time, this is something you would feel like the public needs to know because you have all these things that you can take now, right? You could take Bijan Robinson over under in terms of his rushing yards, over under receptions, over under receiving yards. So I'm sure like they're playing Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay this season has not been great defending running backs out of the backfield. I'm sure a lot of people were playing B. John Robinson props. And I'm sure just in general, a lot of people were playing B. John Robinson props. And if Atlanta knows this, like, and maybe they just, they don't have to say anything, right? He's sick. It's not like, hey, he's got a sprained ankle. He's going to be limited. Or he's got a shoulder issue. He could be limited. He never appears in the injury report. So the assumption going into the game that he's going to play. So when you're on Twitter today and you're watching the game, like I'm watching the Patriots, I have red zone on the other one, and I'm just like glancing on Twitter during the commercials and whatnot during the Patriots game, and everybody's just complaining. They're like, oh, Arthur Smith, what is, what is he doing? And he's like, "What's why isn't Arthur Smith playing Bijan Robinson? There has to be some sort of explanation. People thought he may just not be playing him out of spite. Like, oh, what did he do? Did he miss a practice or something? And he was benched, something along those lines. But that wasn't the case. So that would be one thing if he was benched, right? That's a totally different thing. But he wasn't benched. It's actually, he was not feeling well. He was sick. So I just feel like that's information that the public needs to know, especially nowadays when gambling is legal all over the country now in the state of Massachusetts. Of course, we all know it's legal, but in a ton of states, of course, gambling is legal. I just feel like that it's such an interesting thing to me that, well, he's technically not injured, but he's sick. Obviously, prior to the game, Atlanta knew that and nobody had that information. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are pissed off and bet on Bijan Robinson. Now, I haven't been fantasy, so it's like I'm not like it's super it's fantasy. My team stinks anyway, so I'm not like that pissed off about it from that perspective. I probably would have lost anyway, even if I had Bijan playing. I probably still would have lost if Bijan was playing like up to the way that he usually plays. But nonetheless, my big point on this is I just feel like this is fascinating, and I do feel like that this is something that should be reported going forward. If a player is sick and he's going to be limited, that's something that now, the fact that the NFL, like previously, if they didn't have a relationship with the books, it doesn't make, like, they don't have to say anything, but they do now, right? So I just feel like that, from my perspective, is something that the public needs to know. All right, 
So I just want to let you guys know a little bit of a schedule change this week. So we're going to have a Celtics preview pod that's going to come out on Monday, okay? I think we're going to let that go early evening or late afternoon, something along those lines. So it'll be there for you on Monday at some point and obviously all day Tuesday. So since the Celtics start on Wednesday, we're going to chat with Sean Grandy, of course, Celtics play-by-play guy. We'll preview the season and you'll have that up for the next, what, before the season starts on Wednesday night. So we'll do that. And then this week, we're obviously going to record after the opener. So you'll have the preview pod coming up this week. And then Wednesday night after the game, we'll record another pod to react to the Celtics first game of the season against the New York Knicks. So we'll get into that. And then we'll have our normal Thursday pod too. get you ready for the Patriots and the Dolphins next week. We'll see if the Patriots can keep this thing going. Can they pick up another win? So that's the schedule for this week. Preview pod, Wednesday post game pod after the Celtics and Thursday as normal. Okay. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. You can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.